The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Have you seen these stories? Yeah. What? This is there's two you stories. Know. These seem to be unrelated stories, yet they have a common theme. Okay. Um, one's kind of goofy, or could have been bad, but turned out to be not bad, just goofy. And one is actually kind of serious, if you ask me. Um, I'm not sure which one you're. you're oh, okay. All right. Good. Which one you? Th- which one would you call goofy? Um. I think they're both kind of goofy. <laughs> Large metal object um, fell from the sky near the main state capitol. So apparently somebody was just walking down the street and suddenly a big hunk of metal, like a a, a cylindery kind of thing. There was a picture. I, mean, I, should, I should open up the story and look at it. Well, who among us? I mean, yeah, I know, yeah. right? Um, let me see if I can refresh my memory here. Yeah, so there's a picture of this thing here. Um it actually looks like one of those big terracotta planters. I have no idea what the scale is here. What the hell? It, I don't. I have no idea what the scale is either. It kind of looks like a uh, an axle spacer yeah. or a bushing or something. Uh, they say it was um, seven. Oh, cylinder is about seven and a half inches by five inches. So it wasn't very big. All right, but it is seven or eight pounds. Uh, and if if the research is to be believed, it fell from the flight levels. Um, and. Uh, at the time of this story, they didn't know. What are we looking at here? CNN. A man narrowly missed a large metal object that likely fell from a plane. I think they in got. Maine. I think they got. Yeah, that I know. Right. I know. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> far, far, far be I, it from me to disagree with yeah, CNN. I know, right? If if I was him, I'd be buying lottery tickets right now. I know, huh? Yeah. Maine Capitol Police screener Craig Donahue was returning from his lunch break when he heard a loud thud and the sound of metal rolling. Lucky for Donahue, he narrowly missed being hit Friday afternoon by a large sleeve-like object that likely fell from a plane near the, the main statehouse. Uh, <laughs> guy, guy's got a sense of humor on it. His quote was, it probably would have left a good mark. Um, yeah. No kidding. Yeah, no kidding. Well. This thing fell from any height. It would have hurt you bad if it's really come down from a... Um, there's more in the story here. I don't know whether... I, last, I, As I recall, they hadn't determined... Um, the the uh, the uh, aircraft what yeah. it was or what it was or where you know, it doesn't from. every piece every piece and part on a on an airliner or even our planes for that matter um, is so seriously logged and serial numbered and I mean aren't they on absolutely going to be able to track this part back to some aircraft how did, I remember a story okay so I remember a friend of yours Jeb who may need to remain nameless tells a great story um, about um, he's an airline pilot um, and on takeoff he lost a wheel okay yes. um, and and he's, he tells a very very amusing story that maybe one day we'll get to tell in the, in the podcast but um, he tells a story about how he insisted that they continue the flight long enough for them to go out onto the runway retrieve the wheel look at the serial number and see because apparently he wasn't I'm, never, I'm remembering the story in better detail maybe you remember it better than me Jeb he, he only thought he lost a wheel because the tower told him as he was taking off and he didn't want to believe them for various reasons and so he made them go out retrieve the wheel look it up in the database and de- and 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 conclude that that this part was in fact on his airplane that this or from, from, from his airplane, airplane. Yeah, right, right right was from his airplane so this thing that fell down into the state into the capital building of of Maine you'd think there's a number on it and eventually they're going to track it down this story is this is from a little while well 16th from about nine days ago but uh yeah 
Uh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you something yeah. that I will also say the proprietors will remain nameless, but occasionally people drop stuff out of their <laughs> Yeah. Which is a really awful thing to do, and it should not happen. And and the uh, violator but it, but it was legal. severely disciplined oh, for so having you're done that at this- that time. So, so you're suggesting that this did not come. If it doesn't have num- numbers and it can't be traced back, it could be off something. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying. So you're, you're suggesting yeah. that this didn't fall off of an accidentally fall off an airliner. This might be something that was dropped from any unknown if, aircraft. If, but presumably if, one that the windows. If I windows was a main legislature. Yeah. Legislator, <laughs> I would be, I would be checking. You know, the, who's been saying uh, bad stuff about me on Twitter and Instagram? Conspiracy yeah. theories. I like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. This is good. This is good. All right. Well, so I don't know uh, whether there's any more news on this since it. It you know, for all that, it could be the remnants of of some spacecraft that you know. Uh, you, know, you know, everything else burned up in the atmosphere, and this is what survived. It could be aliens. It could be um, uh, anything. It could be anything. You know. It could be anything. Um, this was the wacky one, the one that I considered a little more serious that maybe others don't. Um, well, 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 wait a second. Before we leave the, the, the object, we have to yes. conclude the, uh, the, uh, the, wheel, the missing wheel. Oh, yes. Thing. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so so in fact the wheel was missing. It rolled off into the weeds after the after the airplane departed, mm-hmm. and um, they went. I don't know. This is you know some. This is a turboprop, and uh, they went on their way to their destination, and you know circled and whatnot, and burned off fuel and all this nonsense, and uh, landed, uh, stayed on the center line, landed, no injuries, no damage, other than you know <laughs> we lost a wheel somewhere, um, and. Uh, Got got towed to the to the gate. Uh, air, uh, passengers deplaned. Um, the captain and, and co-pilot walked off the jetway, arm in arm, singing, "You picked a fine time to leave me, sweet." <laughs> okay, all right. Well, all right. That was worth the wait. <laughs> maybe, 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 <laughs> maybe. Um, uh, the other story here. All right. So, so the, the other, other story, story yeah. here is uh, this is from Abweb. Uh, where, which one is it here? Um, tree strikes, in quotes, tree strikes from above threaten aircraft battling Yosemite wildfires. This one's from a while ago. This was from back in the middle of July. Um, but apparently what the, the concern here is that these fire bombers that fly in a crazy environment under any circumstances, trees aside, all right? Um, but apparently the, the fires, or at least this particular fire, was so extreme that it was causing updrafts strong enough to lift trees or maybe large branches, but but parts of trees, up high into the air where they then fell, almost like hail. I mean, really, almost literally like hail in some other ways. But basically lift, lift these tree parts up into the air where they would then fall back down and um, the fire bomber pilots apparently have to keep their eyes open for this kind of stuff. Have you ever heard of this kind of thing before? I've never heard of this yeah. before. Although nothing in, in, in firefighting aircraft operations really surprises me. Um, fire and brimstone. Someone's not living yeah, right. Okay. It's, it's, um, it's like a tornado going into yeah. those things. Yeah. Uh-huh. One, of my, one of my multi-engine flight instructors was a fire bomber. 
And he was not afraid of the ground, by the way. Um, great guy, though. Uh, scared me to death. Yeah. And yeah. one of the things I can tell you is that he explained that it is like going into a tornado. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I absolutely believe that this is true. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's just, and I don't even know. I mean, you can certainly keep your eyes open, but I got to figure that a, that a, even a medium-sized tree branch, which could do some damage, would be very hard to see coming. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, I don't know. I was watching bits and pieces of, of uh, Apocalypse Now, the movie, um, uh, the other night. And I was watching the uh, the uh, uh, Robert Duvall. Is it, was it Robert Duvall? Um, um, the helicopter be, uh, landing on the beach. Yeah. And, yeah. and everybody's yeah. ducking down into foxholes and down into uh, you're taking cover. And he's just kind of standing up and walking around. And, and you kind of, the, the implication was that he just figures, you know, this is all random. If it's going to happen, it's going to oh, happen. And so the, the narrator in Apocalypse Now said, you know, it's obvious this guy's not going to get a scratch. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Maybe that's the way you fly the fire bombers. You know, you, you know, kind of keep your eyes open, but don't stress it too much because, you know, um, yeah. anyways. Well, so the sky is falling. That's the demonstrated two demonstrated yeah. examples right here that the sky is falling. And, you know, I, I guess a third one would be the final omen or something. It kind of unlocks one of the doors to hell or something. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Uh, sure, that's what's happening right here. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Let's was, go no, with nothing that. To be concerned yeah. Of, yeah, nothing to be concerned about, folks. It's just a yeah. little fire. I don't, I don't have a link to it, but I, there was a story on Reddit I saw the other day that where the uh, um, it, it showed a little snippet of video of a, of a crop duster pilot, uh, an ag applicator pilot, um, and and it, 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 he or she pilot was was doing the at the end of the run, and then they do the turnaround where they very very commonly will pull up real hard and then kind of do this. I don't know what you would call it, half cumin eight, you know, turnaround, right? And the and the poster the poster said said I I've never seen this before. Is this that really the way they do it, or is this guy just being crazy? And and everybody answered yes, both. <laughs> yeah, yes is the yes correct answer. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crop crop duster pilots. That's a, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. There, obviously, you know, one of my day job things is is uh, looking through NTSB reports and and uh, regurgitating some of that for the benefit of uh, aviation safety's readers. I don't even bother with agricultural aircraft really? accidents because, yeah, I don't, I don't even. It's just they're not even they're not even relevant to normal operations. Well, there's that. Yeah, it's it's a very very different. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess that was why back when remember there was a story a bunch of years ago. There was a story about the fact that all these uh, um, cell phone towers were popping up. Um, um, very very mm-hmm. undocumented. All right, and and the the and the. Uh, the uh, crop duster pilots were really worried about it because these things could literally appear in a field, a field that they dust, you know, or uh, apply whatever the right terminology is to all the time. So they know the field can from one day to the next can suddenly have one of these temporary mm-hmm. cell phone towers. And, and it's really, really dangerous. And, and my observation at the time, and I think this still stands, is that if, if something scares the crop duster pilots, <laughs> yeah, yeah, then it's yeah, really yeah. scary. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways. All right. That, that's, that's a true statement. Yeah. That's a true statement. Yeah. So, anyways, be careful out there. There's all kinds of dangers. Um, anyways. Stay in the middle of the Stay air. Stay in the middle. Of, yeah, okay. That's right. That's, yeah. Something like that. 
Or or maybe just fly over the road because they don't usually put the tower in the middle of the road. This is an excellent point. Uh, okay, sure. We'll we'll go on that. That's our plan. We're going to just IFR, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, IFMOR, middle of roads. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from uh, beautiful downtown Dover, New Hampshire, where it's uh, it's still August, but it's starting to feel more like fall. It's uh, <laughs> um, I will I will observe that the leaves. And this is normally the time of year when we start to see the first of the leaves changing colors, and and I haven't seen any yet. Um, we're technically in a pretty good drought up here, not unlike many places around the country, um, and and a lot of people are are uh, and between that and related the high heat that we've had like so many other places have had there's a lot of talk about whether or not that's what that is going to do to the uh, fall foliage because um, a lot of places i mean foliage and people joke about foliage foliage is a significant part of the tourist business up here in many places and so if the foliage were to be weak it it would be it would not be a good thing for a lot of people so but uh, but otherwise, it's very nice up here, and uh, uh, I'm, in, I'm enjoying the uh, the days. And I'm also enjoying being here in our virtual hangar with two of my very good friends. Uh, two, 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 uh, two folks out there. There's almost always two folks out there. Uh, from uh, from uh, I need to come up with a, with a good one, Amy, but uh, from just down the river, just down the road, uh, maybe in Fort Myers, <laughs> Florida. You're actually not yes. in Fort Myers. Are you in Fort Myers, or are you just near Fort Myers? I I am. Don't give away I, where I you are. I just want to know if you're in Fort Myers. I'm in the countryside of Fort around Myers. Fort Myers. Of Fort Myers. That's Amy Lavota. Hi, Amy. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. Thank you very much, Jack. Yeah. What's new? You got an ugly disease from one of your grandchildren, I understand. That's why your voice is... Well, yeah, I only have one. God bless him, and he's bringing everything home with him from school. God yeah. bless him. And so your voice is a little <laughs> bit... A little bit... Uh, a little bit uh, Dusky, this what's the word? Jeb, do you know a word for it? What Dusky, uh, a little bit. I smoky. think he calls me smoky. some wonderful, wonderful movie star. So I'm all in. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a Lauren Bacall kind of thing. Kind. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. You know, what's the line? You know, you. Oh, never mind. We're probably straying into be- dangerous territory. Uh, Very you dangerous territory. To, you know how to whistle. Whistle. Don't you? That's what it is. <laughs> and, I said, and, that's not, and I'm not going any further down <laughs> that we road. Go. There we go. All right. <laughs> and that other voice here in our virtual hangar from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, is Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm, I don't have any raspy voice, so that's a now. Good this is maybe a question for both of you. Uh, this is the weather question of the episode. Um, I saw a story about a serious, serious weather burst that looked like it was up sort of in the Tampa area. Right. Did you guys see any news about this? Um, apparently, there, uh, somebody posted something about weather radar that showed a microburst that happened. It looked like it happened sort of on the I Fort, I, I, I like to the east of Tampa, halfway between there and Plant City, that area. Okay, why uh, not? There were there were yeah. some amazing clusters of yeah. thunderstorms. Yeah, yeah. and and then um, somebody followed up that with a little snippet of video stepping out onto their back porch, where and you know where it looked like a tornado. I mean, it was like the mo- I mean, you see the the worst hurricane shots you ever see of the you know the rain and the wind going sideways and and visibility is like not more than ten feet that's what it looked like and apparently this was just a, a very very short-lived thing up there in that area um but it, I, I didn't it didn't appear to extend even to your area jib let alone all the way down to fort myers but well i, I was in a i was in st pete 
uh, over the weekend mm-hmm. um, at a friend's house. And thunderstorm comes up and goes rolling by, and we hear we start hearing sirens. We, we hear a thunderclap, and it was loud, and it was close. Um, and then we a couple of minutes later, we hear sirens. Came to find out um, that lightning had hit a palm tree, mm. and a ball of lightning rolled down from the top of the palm tree down to the ground, and then back up to the top of the palm tree and caught the palm tree on fire. And the sirens were the fire engine fire sure. department responding yeah. to all this, and um, we're like, "Huh? Well, I'm glad we dodged that." Yeah, but well, uh, yeah, lightning will do that sometimes. So, yeah, I, I, this case, yeah, yeah. And, and it's Florida, so you know anything can happen. Yeah, exactly. And and on a daily basis, it was incredibly noisy here, somewhere between one and three o'clock in the morning last night. So I I it woke me up. I thought someone was banging on the door. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I got up and and uh, um, looked at all the cameras and and um, you know walked around the house and and you know listened and and waited for something else to happen, but nothing yeah. did. So um, yeah, it was one of those. Yeah, evenings. it was Bambi or 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 her family, you, all your deer. That was not what my first <laughs> thought was. All I know is the pool was green this morning and required a lot of chlorine. So there was a buttload yeah. of water came out of the sky last night. Uh, okay. Yeah. Mine wasn't so much as green as it just got refilled. Yeah. Yeah. Topped off, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It got topped off. Yeah. Thank you. That's a good way All to right. put it. All right. Well, there we go. Uh, one one other bit of, uh, and it's not exactly podcast business, but it's uh, happy birthday. This is uh, so. Uh, so it was it was it was during this week in the year 2006 16 years ago. <laughs> the year 2006. It's like <laughs> like what? Eons. Well, Eons yeah, it does ago. seem like it. And, 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 but then in other ways it seems like you know not that long ago. Uh we uh, you me and Dave, we pub Jeb, we you me and Dave published the uh, first recorded and published the first episode of Uncontrolled Airspace. Um yeah. it's and the, and and the world has not yet forgiven us. <laughs> I know. <huh? laughs> um, it's really interesting. I don't know. I, I don't listen to it very often, but every three or four years or so, I'll go back and listen to the first 10, 15 minutes of it. And it's a little bit amusing to hear us back then because we, we were just taking it so, so, you know, it's like we don't take it very seriously anymore. Um, but we were taking, we were like doing this serious, it was NPR, man. We were going to do a radio show and talk about airplanes. And yeah, we were very, very serious about it. And, uh, if you actually taste various episodes in the first, you know, ten or so, you see that we very quickly got over that, and, <laughs> and, uh, and things got lighter quickly. And I think that was for the best, all things considered. But, uh, but yeah, congratulations, ten, uh, sixteen years ago. Yeah. And uh, Amy joined us not long after that. I forget. I should That's do right. the research and see when Amy. But Amy, Amy first joined us in the hangar, not, you know, within the first six months. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, so. She could not escape. No, 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 that's true. You know, I hang out with so many strange people in so many strange places. I, I I don't know where I was going with that, but welcome to aviation. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. It takes you to some magnificent shores. Yeah. I will absolutely say that. Absolutely. And I've, I, I have to say that I have enjoyed 
over the years, both being on the show, but mostly listening to the show and getting excited about seeing it on Apple, you know, you know, Apple Music and all these other cool places you could go to download it. You, you know? actually listen to this episode? I don't. Jeb, do you listen? No. Huh? Yeah, what? I, know, I don't right? listen to you. I don't even listen to Thank you, you. Jack. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that's very, I, I am yeah, guilty that's, of that's listening. That's very kind. Yeah. That's very Thank kind. You, we like yeah. that. Thank you. Um, so anyways, happy birthday. 16 years. I don't know how much longer we're going, but we're probably going some more because can't stop i can't stop man i can't stop it's like late ladies potato it's chip. like we're here right yeah yeah really and we have no lives so yeah. why not <laughs> you know. yeah uh so um the 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 internet seemed to be all abuzz re- recently about this 170 in, t- in time in times past we would say all a twitter but... <laughs> i do okay well they were the twitter as well yes um about this uh 172 that got ferried out from the west coast of the united states to hawaii um and uh, someone apparently discovered it on Flight, not, uh, Flight Aware or one of the services, Flight, Flight Radar 24, or one of those, when it was partway across the Pacific, you know, partway out over the Pacific Ocean, partway to Hawaii, and, uh, and posted on Twitter, as a matter of fact. That's where I first noticed it. And suddenly people are going, holy crap, how, you know, and, and people just were really, and it, it's, a, it's an accomplishment. I don't mean to, you know, to, yeah, no, but. I, is, is it is it unusual? Do you guys know? I mean, we hear all the time about people. You know, Dave, as a matter of fact, has has, has flown across the North Atlantic. You know, uh, in his time, um, and I don't know, Jeb, but someone else. Is yeah, well, I mean, he was crew member on a, yeah. on that kind yeah. of thing. But uh, you know, you hear all the time. At least I hear all the time about people um, crossing the Atlantic in small airplanes, ferrying small airplanes. Is it unusual to ferry an airplane out to Hawaii? Do either of you know anything about this? No, it's not. It's not unusual. That is a pretty small airplane, though, so it's probably a push as to whether it's cheaper to disassemble it, put it in Mm -hmm. a crate, and send it across on a boat Mm -hmm. versus forcing someone to upgrade it with the extra fuel and then hiring a very lowly on the totem pole young Ferry pilot <laughs> who's desperate for hours because who the hell wants yeah. to get in a 172 yeah. and fly it from Hawaii to the mainland, man? Yeah, I'm not volunteering for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not. Yeah, they're going to have to pay me quite nicely, and uh, it's a first class ticket. Yeah. Well, that too, sure, absolutely. But yeah, so he flew from Merced, California, according to. Let's see. Now I'm looking at this Twitter link now. Um, which service is this? It looks like, like yeah, flight Mercy radar. California to Honolulu. Right. Yeah. Look, the service looks like flight flight radar twenty four. Is that what it's called? Anyways, uh, Merced, California to Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, at the time of this, they they screen grabbed it. They hadn't quite arrived yet. Although then there were reports later that the person had arrived. Um, it was apparently being ferried out to be a rental aircraft at an FBO. Um, and uh, I saw another tweet here someplace. So yeah, it's right down here in the list. Um, well, our brand new G1000 uh, NXI Cessna 172 made the 18-hour and five-minute flight from Merced, California to Honolulu. Um, the pilot uh, Tom Lopes did it, did it, did it again. So apparently he's done it before, um, and he said that uh, apparently it got rented out like the next day or something like that. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. I, I I don't believe that because you really do have to do a little of uh, plumbing, replumb, and you have to get all that stuff out of it. Yeah. And 
uh, they must have shipped the back seats because they probably yeah. took those out. Right, right. I remember back in the earliest, earliest days, might have been the first year ever that I wrote for the uh, Air Venture Daily. Um, um, my gig was to wander around the, the campgrounds and just chat with people and f- try and find people who had interesting stories. And I came across these two guys who first got my attention because they were, I think they were Australian. My apologies to my New Zealand friends if that's where they were from. But they were from one of those two nations. They were from that far away is the point of the story, okay? Um, and uh, they had come to Oshkosh in one of the two guys' bonanza from there. Okay, and the way they told the story to me and the way I wrote it in the daily. All right. Um, And in retrospect, maybe I took it a little bit too face value. I never did research to find out whether this was like, you know, a good old boy making up a story here. But the way they told the story is that they basically almost the last minute decided, hey, let's go to Oshkosh. And so they apparently went out and got a whole bunch of five gallon fuel cans um, and 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 rigged a hand pump. And a way to move fuel by hand, you know, hand pump, out of the cockpit into the tank, um, and um, and they did the math to figure out how much fuel they'd need to carry to make the various hops, um, and they came, you know, and, and and ultimately they ended up in Hawaii and then then into the main, U.S. mainland, but uh, they, you know, they were just like you know, good old boys. They just said, well, we'll get a bunch of gas cans and we'll put them in the back of the, you know, strap them down in the back seat and uh, let's go, and. Uh, that's the story, anyways. I'll have to dig it out. I'll put a link to that story someplace. Yeah, dig that out because I'd like to know, know in the show a notes. more about that. Um, as, as, maybe as an FAA safety uh, representative, I'm going, <laughs> la, 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 yeah, la, I'm not here. Yeah, I'm not here. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, did your leg hurt at all while they were talking? Yeah, I know. Story? Maybe, huh? Hey, you know, I was a relatively new, quote-unquote, journalist, right? And uh, and I was just looking for interesting stories, and this felt fit that bill, so I wrote it, and uh and uh, you, know, you, you can always truthfully say, "Well, so and so told yeah. me." Yeah, I didn't yeah. say it happened. I said someone told me it happened. All right. Yes. 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 So, yes. anyways, well, uh, uh, good on this guy for uh, doing. Uh, Tom Lopes um, is apparently the pilot's name who flew from Merced, California, to uh, to uh, Honolulu, and uh, yeah, the internet was very impressed. You think, though you think he could get you know get a decent tan in, in California? Yeah. Well, um, I, well, you know. Yeah. Okay. He also, he's probably also a crop duster in his spare time. So, uh, yeah. 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 Amy. Um, so last time we talked to you, you had, you were in the process of departing air venture Oshkosh and you were going to do some traveling. You and Barry were going to go up here to new England, which I understand that you did. Um, sadly we didn't have a chance to get together, but I know your, your schedule was quite full. And, uh, and then after visiting here in new England, uh, you, headed on south and you i believe you told me that you came across a really interesting little airport that you wanted to tell us about what what, what was that baxley georgia baxley jeff do you know baxley i i know baxley i'm trying to remember if i've ever been in there but i and i don't recall yeah. well they got some money from the state and they used it pretty wisely um the runway's real nice and you can do an IFR approach if you need to, um, plenty long. And they have a wonderful brand new FBO building. And upstairs in the FBO building, which, by the way, had good air conditioning, there are two hotel rooms. Oh, wow. And they're on suites. And basically, 
what they want you to do if you're only staying for a night is um, pay them what you think it's worth. Slide it under the airport, um, the airport manager's door in an envelope. And please take the sheets and throw them in the wash form. There's laundry (laughs) downstairs. That is very cool. cool. And so we were able to just stay at the FBL and stay out of everybody's way and um, depart very early the next morning before the fog set up. And as Uh you know, in the summertime, they get ground fog. And it usually doesn't set up good until about an hour after sunrise. So we were up about 45 minutes before sunrise and able to just hop out of bed, strip the bed, throw them in the wash, make a cup of coffee, roll out the door, untie the airplane, and blast. You know, just as the sun was rising. We were home before 9 o'clock in the morning which was just terrific. The other thing they have is a decent crew car, which Hmm. if you happen to be lucky enough, and these are, this some of this was pure luck. We do call ahead and look for places that have crew cars. And there are listings, um, AOPA has one of them, of places that have GA airports where the possibility of a crew car is there. Any of you who can realize how much tremendous extra expenditure we saved on that night in Baxley gets it. Because the ride into town was all of two miles, um, picking up some Mexican food, bringing it back, you know, having a bite to eat outside uh, in the evening, and then going right to sleep. I mean, it was just, it was such a nice place. And the airport manager was just very gracious. I called just to check. I always do to make sure the pump is working and that the mm-hmm. advertised the fuel pump. gas yeah. price is the same. Yeah. Because sometimes that changes too. Um, and he's the one who told me about the room. And then he mm-hmm. said, and I can reserve it for you if you'd like, if you're wow. coming tomorrow. And I said, well, I'm definitely coming tomorrow now. Yeah. Very cool. Baxley, yeah. Georgia. So yeah. I'm looking at it on the Baxley, map here. Georgia. It's about 70 miles in from the coast. Um, uh, it's just about, well, if you, if you started about the midway point of the Georgia coastline and then went sort of north, west-northwest, you know, basically northwest, about 70 miles, almost not quite halfway to, to Atlanta. Um, it's, it's not too far from Hazelhurst. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of which, little which, which everybody yeah, knows know. about. Everybody knows. Yeah. So, yeah. You really just have to triangulate Vidal, uh, exactly. You know, exactly. Vidalia and Augusta and Valdosta. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah I don't. I don't think it was Baxley. I don't remember which airport it was. But one year, not not too long ago, on my way back from Oshkosh. Um, I stopped in a, a small airport in Georgia, and uh, I was, you know, like the only person within a mile, except for the highway that was going that went by and saw a couple of cars go by on the highway. Uh, but it was basically, all on my own. And the FBO, a nice little FBO building, and I got some signage, um, you know, say, you know, use the Unicom frequency to get into the. Um, they had an alcove, for lack of a better word, a pilot's lounge, actually, 
Um, but it was kind of a round back and, and kind of a left-hand thread to get to and all this kind of thing. Um, and you punched in the Unicom frequency uh, into the door, and the door pops open, and there's an air-conditioned pilot lounge. They got a... Um, I'm not sure if it was a Coke machine or if it was, you know, here's a refrigerator with all these goodies in it. Leave us what you think is fair uh, as, as payment. Um, bathrooms, um, a couch to, to take a nap on if you needed to. The fuel was cheap, which is the main reason I stopped in there. And uh, I spent, you know, 30, 45 minutes on the ground. Um, um, didn't, still didn't see a soul. In the whole area, in the whole place, got my soft drink, got my my Snickers bar and all that kind of thing, and and topped off my tanks and, and motored on down the road. And I thought that was kind of like the, pretty much the epitome of small airport service, as far as I was concerned. Didn't have to deal with anybody. It was all you know, uh, um, hands off transactions, and uh, great. I'd, I'd go there again. Yeah. Nice. Should check in on that. Uh, who was uh, there? Were one of the other aviation podcasts had been running a data, the online database of, uh, I guess that was actually it was airport restaurants. It wasn't necessarily airports with great GA services, but uh, well, I, I told Amy this yeah. story. It's, it's been I don't know three or four years ago now. Um, she and I were out. We were looking for something to do one day, and we wanted to, uh, um, you know, fly somewhere to get something to eat and, and whatnot. So I got online and I started poking around and, and Googled, you know, uh, uh, airport restaurants in Florida or something right. like that. A couple of things popped up and there's this great story popped up. <laughs> and I start I started reading this and you know all this and damn this is this is well written. This is you know is well researched and all this and I scroll back up to the top to see who wrote it and it's Amy who wrote it. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yep. Yeah, it's a small world every now and then. Every yeah. now and then, yeah. yeah. So uh yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Baxley, Georgia. Baxley, Georgia. It's it's uh, it's uh, Kilo Bravo Hotel Charlie B H C uh, in in Baxley Baxley Municipal Airport, Baxley, Georgia. Um, good tip, Amy. Thank you. You are very welcome. And if they ever hear this, thank you, Baxley. Very very nice stop. Nice. And, and if you if you can't still can't figure out where Baxley is, it's near it's Hazelhurst. Just, it's just down the road. Yeah. <laughs> it's just near Hazelhurst. Um, changing gears here, uh, a tragic story. Another midair or in the traffic pattern around an airport near an airport. Um, this one in Watsonville Municipal Airport. Um, I'm very familiar, at least was back in when I was living out there of Watsonville, um, a really great GA airport right there on the edge of the Pacific Ocean, um, about an hour's drive south of San Jose, um, and uh, um, it's the home base of one of our our great uh, both podcast friend and Camp Bacon friend, um, uh, and uh, but uh, he wasn't involved, uh, but uh, he wasn't even present. He was he was out of the area on business that day, but. Uh, Watsonville Municipal Airport, apparently a Cessna 152 and a Cessna 340 um, collided on final um, to to one of the runways. Um, it's really early. I, 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 I'm troubled by how many uh, how many instant analysis videos have appeared. Thank you. Um, on this. And, and I, I thank, just think it's, you. you know, I mean, we certainly are a little guilty of this because we'll talk about these things soon after they happen. But we try to disclaim it very, very uh, 
carefully, very, very loudly, um, that it's just too early to know for sure. And, and a couple of notable YouTube, aviation YouTube channels have already put together, and I'm, I don't want to watch them. I, I just don't want to watch them right, um, because I don't. So, and for all I know, they've done made some incredible observation, but I, it just troubles me. It's too soon. Nobody knows yet exactly what happened. Um, and uh, um, it's caught, caught made a, you know, I mean, it's just, but it has got a lot of people's attention. I'm not sure why this particular one, maybe it's just, you know, it's just touched the nerve in the, in the uh, internet uh, zeitgeist or something, but. Uh, no, I think it might be, it's come right after the one in um, Henderson, what? Nevada. In Las and Vegas, North so, Las Vegas, yeah. North Las yeah, Vegas, North, yeah. excuse me. Yeah. And I think that, that, that the news media is trying to make it out that this is happening all the time when, in fact, midairs are still tremendously rare. But I will say one thing. They do tend to happen in the traffic pattern. Yes, yes, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm probably going to gin up something on midairs for the next issue of Aviation yeah. Safety. And, you know, we've done midairs. Let me rephrase this. We've done articles on midairs and how they happen and how to avoid them and, and things of this sort. I, I did a piece not that long ago on defensive flying, which was mainly, you know, again, how to avoid midairs or how to avoid traffic pattern conflicts and things like that. And, um, um, yeah. Uh, funny thing, you know, most midairs happen within in the vicinity of an yeah. airport. How about yeah, well, that? You know, it used to it used to be that we would also throw in uh, VORs, um, where you know, people, you know, obviously airplanes converge over via VORs. Right. We don't have so many VORs anymore. We have GPS, so everybody's going direct. So that that is minimized. We still have fixes. We still have intersections. We still have reporting points, things of that sort. That airplanes congregate over um so i I think you know anytime um you're near an airport anytime you're near some some conversions point you know keep your head on a swivel um tom turner um executive director of the uh, american bonanza society and frequent contributor to to aviation safety he tells the story of him going into oshkosh this year um he's in an a-36 and he's paying attention, um, and his his uh, traffic display shows an aircraft sneaking up behind him. Um, slow descent, and the math is going to work out that the two airplanes are going to try to occupy the same space at the same time. And um, he pulled an evasive maneuver, and the aircraft missed him, but he got a good look at it. He knows exactly which aircraft it is. It was later that week seen on display at the, at the mm-hmm. show. Um, and, uh, you know, you're just kind of scratching your head. Um, One of the points that Tom made is, um, and this is certainly food for thought for everybody, but um, how many, how often incidents of that type happen on approach to Oshkosh? How often there are these kinds of conflicts and what, um, you know, maybe we've reached something, maybe we've gone past the saturation it's point interesting. Yeah. On, on, on getting aircraft in and out of, of Oshkosh. And I don't have a, I don't have an answer to Tom's question, but it's a hell of a good question. It is question. a good question. And I'll, let me add another bit of, of very anecdotal information to that. Um, I, it, 
it seems to me that I've heard more stories in the last year, this this past Oshkosh after adventure, of people who are saying, "I'm kind of done with doing the 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 Oshkosh approach, the VFR approach. It's uh-huh. uh, it's yeah, just yeah, too yeah. much. Um, it, yeah. You know, I know it used to be very. I mean, it was always you know you've got to be very careful. You got to do it right. I mean, I never took no no one ever should have taken it lightly, um, and almost no one does. Um, but it used to be worth it because it was a it was a accomplishment, you know, and it was a a thing to have in your logbook. And and um, but I'm hearing more and more comments from people who are saying, oh, I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. Um, I'm going to land someplace else and I'm going to rent a car or I'm going to do whatever it takes. And, um, you know, and I wonder if that's, if, I don't know what that might be, it, but it might be related to what you were alluding to, Jeb, is that it's maybe we've passed some well, threshold. Yeah, it's it's certainly a high stress environment, but I, and I definitely want to hear Amy's input on this. It's definitely mm-hmm. a high stress environment. It, it may or may not be um, the, the, these pilots' reluctance may or may not be related to close calls, but just the added stress of being in, mm-hmm. in uh, such proximity. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, it's a complicated. Let me put it another way. Um, it is, as a, as um, say IFR procedures go, it's not that complicated. As VFR procedures go for rusty pilots who maybe aren't that current. Um, and, and maybe put on half their hours of, of the year flying to Oshkosh, mm-hmm. um, it can be uh, a stressful environment. Yeah. Um, but I, I'll shut up and I'll listen. Yeah, Amy, what do you think? No, I, I, well, first of all, I, I agree with you. Um, but it doesn't take a rusty pilot to create uh, an airspace conf- conflagration or whatever you want to yeah, call yeah. it. Um, and yeah, I had a near miss coming in, um, and that was not the pivotal reason why I stopped coming in. Um, I did a lot of math, and I needed a car. I needed yeah. there were things I needed that because I didn't work for EAA anymore, I wasn't gonna <laughs> just get right. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. I also had to leave IFR once and ended up on a ground stop. And that opened my eyes to the problems with having to get out of there and being in this place with all of these airplanes at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was I was one of 10 airplanes that actually got out. And only because I called for my clearance at exactly 7 a.m., me uh-huh. and like 10,000 other people trying to get out of there with our clearances. And that was when the tower opened. So we couldn't get our clearance earlier than that because we couldn't legally depart. And in the end, 10 of us got out. Um, and then it broke up, but there was a limited amount of time for VFR traffic even to get out before the air show started. So um, that opened my eyes to, yeah, you could really get stuck here. Because I did not get where I wanted to go that day because I, it, it was a three-hour delay and weather built up, and I was unable to continue the trip. I had to land. I ended I, up I, a I, hotel I, night. Mm-hmm. That I wouldn't have had to have. Yeah, our our dear friend Dave Higdon tells a story about him getting trying to get back to Wichita in a in a borrowed Bonanza, uh, VFR only Bonanza, and him him and you know 
I don't know, pick a number, 10 or 20 of his, of his closest friends, all trying to do the same thing, and they couldn't get it. One, one guy departed and, you know, came back 20 minutes later and said, I can't, I can't get any further, and I turned around and came back. And he was on the ground a couple of days, at least, maybe three or four, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Well, that is, yeah. that is the trials and tribulations of the VFR-only pilot. And it is one of the reasons why I love my IFR rating. I will always keep it current. I want to be able to use my IFR rating when I need it. And that day, I really did need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to take off IFR, and I had to shoot an ILS, you know, to get half halfway home and find some place that still had decent ceilings that you could shoot an ILS. I mean, I, I didn't didn't get that far down the road. And then I had to get everybody up at 5 o'clock in the morning and get them out to the airplane and start all over again. And it was still three days to get the airplane home. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I don't know what the lesson here is, but uh, as far as the Watsonville midair and the North Las Vegas midair, um, it's still pretty early. The powers that be usually do a pretty good job at, at analyzing these things and 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 giving us a heads up on things that we should we should take into consideration. And, and I'll wait for that to happen. Um, but but be careful when you're in these higher aircraft environments. Just keep keep your head on swivel, like Jeb said. You know, see and avoid, um, and maybe don't fly straight ins. Maybe don't fly straight ins. Um, well, um, yeah. I, but that, now I'm straying into analyzing it. And we don't know exactly what happened. But I, I'm, exactly. I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm very suspicious of that particular element of this. But let's wait and see. Um, be careful out there. Uh, Amy, you put on our list. Um, it says, so many students, exclamation point. <laughs> what did you see? What happened? Well, no, 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 no. I just, it, it really, it really hit me this time coming into Orlando Executive, which is by its name, a center city airport and that gets a lot of heavy jet traffic. And not only does it get a lot of heavy jet traffic, it is directly under the incoming and outgoing flight path for Orlando International Airport. So they're coming across 2,500 feet and above, but mostly 2,500 feet when they're landing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know this because I've done the approach into international, and you can't be low. (laughs) You can't be low because of executive airport. Right. So what I've noticed is that um, ATP flight schools has gone on an incredible buying splurge. And has scooped up so many smaller mom-and-pop flight schools around the country mm-hmm. and branded them and then grown like crazy. And I know that we are having a pilot shortage. I know that the airlines are hiring like crazy. But I can also tell you that ATP and a whole lot of other schools are trying like crazy to get those pilots trained up. And what I love about what I'm seeing is the diversity. There is money for pilot training right now. There are um, pilots that I am seeing who are black. They are Asian. They are female. They are anything in between. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not 
the typical group of little airline pilot, you know, jockey males. And it's not, it's clearly not what we used to see where the international airlines would bring their pilots over and put them at the flight school that the international airline owned, um, particularly in Napa, Ayaska. Yeah. Used to be, um, yeah, that used to be Japan Airlines. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you knew that. You knew that there were going to be pilots who were learning English and how to fly at the same time going in and out of that area. And we, I was a flight instructor out there, we were particularly careful about that. Um, Also, when I worked in Fort Worth at Meacham Field, we had a lot of African and um, Middle Eastern pilots training. Mm-hmm. And we had to make sure that we had um, native language speakers who were also flight instructors that could help their students if they got stuck up there solo and forgot how to speak English. Yeah. And it happened. I can imagine. It did happen. No, no criticism. Um, I can imagine that happening, though, yeah. 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 And, and it's just it's a very different world now. But what I was seeing were some good old American young people learning how to fly and it was exciting it also makes it more exciting to arrive because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. there's a lot of touch and go traffic suddenly at the executive airport but there's still you know king airs and gulf streams and you know my rv10 coming in and i'm trying to find a speed that's going to work best for the you know and i i have my arrival that I do. I always come in over Sand Lake. I come in at the right altitudes. I don't have to talk to the Class Bravo. I'm clear of Class Bravo at all times. ADSB works great for helping me to pick out the helicopters, doing their little tours on I-4 and, you know, all the low-level traffic. Right. But it adds a certain je ne sais quoi when you start to add heavy training yeah. at an airport. Yeah. Um, and Kissimmee was very much heavy training and that mix. And now I've noticed it's at Orlando Executive. It's it's always been at Sanford because they've had a big flight school up there for mm-hmm. at least 25 years. Um, what have you noticed, Jeb? I haven't been into Executive um, in a couple of years, but uh, it was definitely a busy place. Um, I... I when I went in, the one time I went in there recently, I was unfamiliar. I hadn't really paid that much attention. Of course, I landed on the runway that uh, was the furthest from my destination. Um, so I taxied basically, I don't know which county it was, Citrus or, or Orange County. I taxied most <laughs> of the way across the county just to get to the ramp I wanted to park at. Um, but... Uh, the tower seemed seemed to have a pretty good handle. I don't recall it being all that busy. Um, I think I was going in and out IFR anyway, so I kind of had that going for me. Um, but no, I think I went in IFR and came out VFR, and and the VFR um, was the VFR departure was not nearly as satisfying as the <laughs> IFR ar- ar- arrival. So, yeah, I, I totally, totally grok where you're going. Uh, there are a number of airports um, like that. Have you been into Zephyr Hills lately? No. Holy moly. Do tell. Oh, well, I went in there um, on a, I don't know, I thought it was a fairly um, uh, busy, uh, no, it was a fairly benign day. 
and uh, um, landed, shut down, made all of my arrangements, and, and I had to leave the airplane. Um, and uh, came back later in the week, picked up the airplane, and uh, there's um, the the, uh, the the runway with the parachute operation um, out there. Uh, to the east. Oh of, yeah, of, of, I know which one. Oh yeah, so so they've got uh, banner towing. They've got uh, a jump zone operation. They've got gliders. Okay, and um, the wind is out of the north. The the twin otters doing the jump zone operation. They don't really care which way the wind's blowing. They're going to land. No, they in, do in, not. W- w- However they want to do it, and they're going to use short. Um, um, almost code-like uh, uh, radio calls and whatnot. Um, the uh, the banner towing, um, same kind of thing. They're going to do what they're going to do, and some of it involves flying um, across the airport at, at, a, uh, at a diagonal or at a, a, a perpendicular to the runways in use and all that kind of thing at a low level. Um, the uh, glider operation um, had two gliders, as I was trying to depart, had two gliders about a half a mile off the departure end of the runway, um, you know, descending out of, uh, you know, 1,500 feet or whatever. And it was kind of like playing pinball, um, <clears throat> playing, you know, playing Pong or something like that on an old Atari machine or something. Um, it, it definitely got my attention. Um, I waited for my shot and... Uh, saw the gliders out there, and the, the twin otters are. I can see them. They're they're stationary, and got going. Got 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 off the ground. Got the gear sucked up and racked it into a left turn, and got the hell out of there. Uh, <laughs> you're describing you're describing a flying circus, is what you're describing. Basically, yeah. I, I would I would um I would I could be more colorful, but I'm not. Um, um, I, I want to see us get to year 17. Um, so, but yeah, that, that's, and that was not a training operation per se. That was just, you know, everything going on. Cool. Yeah. Well, well, I, I'm glad to see the training going on. I know oh, at I Page too. Field yeah. in Fort Myers, ATP has put in a big outfit. I know Western Michigan University is at Punta Gorda now. Um, with a big training uh-huh. uh, presence. So um, the airports are getting utilized. That's exciting. The tower guys are getting a workout, and they're earning their keep, which is also exciting because you and I both know that um, small-town airports with towers, can the towers can possibly go away if they're not yes. used. That's right. That's right. Punta Gorda is probably not, not going to happen because they have scheduled service, and they have a lot of traffic now, too. Um, so, True. Uh, although maybe a couple of the controllers could maybe use some retraining, um, as I think <laughs> you, you and I both have, have discovered over the years. Um, but you know, Punta Gorda is a nice little nice little spot. Um, um, it's obviously uh, um, you know uh, perched right between the two of us, um, but um, it's, it's kind of like a it's almost like it's big class Bravo sitting. Uh, out in the middle of nowhere, or you have to either go around it or get a clearance to go through it, mm-hmm. and, or over it, or something like that. And uh, uh, I've, I've I've had it both ways. I've been welcomed for a transition, and I've been told stay away, leave us alone. Uh, and I both have been experiences to behold. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, it's cool. I'm glad that the student stuff is is very active down there. It's a good sign. It's a good sign. Yeah, it's a great sign. Good sign. Uh, Let's see. Are we reaching the end of our? We are, time? but there's a couple of little quick ones here. Let's see if we can do some of these here. A little shout out to uh, to the little rotorcraft that could um, ingenuity on on Mars um, is uh, Jeb. You put this on here. Apparently, it's up to thirty uh-huh. flights now. Thirty. 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 Three. Plan flights. was maybe yeah, we hopefully fingers crossed can get four or five flights. Yeah, um, yeah. And now they're up to thirty. That's awesome. Is there any more detail and, to this, Jeb? What have, we, well, what have you heard? The only the one one detail is that. Um, uh, it hasn't flown recently, not because of uh, any mechanical problem or, you know, the pilots weren't current or, or you know, something like that. You know, the little Martians were, were uh, uh, not able to, to go fly because the weather was too bad or something, but because it's apparently winter uh, at that location on Mars and the solar cells aren't getting enough energy. Right. To re to recharge and, and operate the mo- the, uh, the little rotorcraft, so they, they apparently let it sit for a few days or mo- weeks or months or whatever to get it so they had enough of a charge in the in the batteries and they could fly it again. And that looks like it's going to be a seasonal thing. I don't know. We also don't know how much longer the aircraft is going to survive, right. um, simply because it's a you know obviously a hostile environment. Yeah. It's obviously you know get dust on the on the solar cells and that's going to cut down the uh, the amount of energy it can absorb, and you know, it's a freaking long way from the sun. I know. Yeah. Um, so all all that kind of stuff is going is working against it, but um, it's still going. It's like yeah, it's very very cool. Congratulations yeah. to everybody involved with that program. And oh yeah, absolutely. and uh, you know, I mean, it, it's such a proven thing now. It's going to be really exciting to see what they do next in the terms of aircraft to fly on Mars. Um, now, Ooh, now, yeah. now they've because we've demonstrated a we've learned a lot of science about how to actually do this, and b they've demonstrated how genuinely useful this is. It's not just a novelty. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah. you got to figure there's going to be some money available now to build a pretty serious next generation uh, uh, Mars aircraft. That'll be cool to watch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, quickly, Jeb, why do airport codes ICAO codes in the U.S. start with the letter K? You know, I didn't even read this story. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for putting it on the list then. Uh-huh. Uh, Amy, do you know um, why? I do not. Yeah. Although the ones in Canada start with the, what do they start with? They start with the C. No, they don't start with they? Y. With C. Yeah. No, Can- Canada. No. no. They're, they're, no. The airline airports no. all start with Y. No. Well, there's two sets of, you right. know, of, of, indicators and that's part of the problem here yeah yeah there, there's there's uh ikeo's codes and then there's the uh, uh regulatory bodies codes and the two are not necessarily the same uh for example um as you correctly point out um a lot of the uh, iota codes uh Jack, yeah uh, start with a y uh yyg or whatever um um and but the full okay. if you if you pull it up in your in your uh, flight data in your flight management system database, uh, it's going the all Canadian airports are going to start with a yeah, C. Yeah, okay. I'll stand corrected. I see that now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. In in the U.S. Um, and I, and Mary, Mary, Amy, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't didn't um, airports like Anchorage or Fairbanks used to have a K in front of them, and sometime in the past they changed that to a P. 
I honestly can't answer okay. the okay. question. According no, to the no story, worries. that's no the case, Jeb. Um, <clears throat> okay. Uh, okay. The K prefix, uh, but, but, I'm reading from the story here. This is from, oh, well, okay. This is from simpleflying.com, my new favorite okay. aviation uh, publication. <laughs> the K prefix was only reserved for contiguous, contiguous United States, uh, uh, but not Hawaii and Alaska. Therefore, both Hawaii yeah. and Alaska use the P as in Papa, P prefix, yeah. um, which is more commonly used in the South Pacific Islands. So yeah. so Alaska, the South Pacific Island, Alaska is now officially part of the South Pacific Islands, apparently. Yeah. Another thing to, to keep in mind, when I first started reading this, I was confused. And the reason I was confused is I was confusing the airport codes with the aircraft registration yeah. prefixes. Right. Uh, where, you know, for example... Uh, in Canada, the uh, aircraft registration um, starts with a C. Uh, in Great Britain, it starts with a with a G, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, in uh, uh, other Mexico, uh, Mexico, yeah, it's an yeah, X. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. In, in other countries, it starts with with a different prefix. Yeah, in the United States, uh, that's and, the N, correct? That's yeah. correct. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you know, we get you know. Talk about a C number. Well, there's no such thing as a C number in Canada. Right. There's a C a prefix for uh, a, a an alphabetic registration. In the U.S., we have N number, which is you know phonetically uh, easy to remember. But um, whatever. Yeah. So and don't don't confuse the airport codes with the registration codes, and don't confuse the ICAO codes with the actual. Uh, uh, um, airport. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. What, I don't know what we yeah. going to call them, but uh, uh, not IKO. Got it. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, let's see now. Yep. Two more here. Uh, quick, well, uh, laser thing. If you anybody out there, no. See, nobody listening to this podcast is going to shine a laser at an airplane in the sky. I, I can't believe not. that. I, I agree with you completely. Right. Nobody's that. But dumb. there are people out who there who listens? do it, and it just it's just. I, I don't. Yeah, it's bad. It's wrong. It's it's genuinely dangerous. It's not just some sort of annoyance or, you know, don't do that. Don't do that. Well, and the it, FAA is complaining that pilots um, are not reporting it as often as it's happening because of the amount of paperwork they have to go through yeah, to put in a. I, I, in a, yeah, I can I can anecdotally confirm that um, we have a. a I can't remember if he's actually a scheduled airline captain or whether he's a corporate captain, but um, he tells a story about um, getting getting illuminated with a laser from the ground um, on long final, mid final, um, and uh, and he called it in on the radio while he was flying. All right, and it did not affect his sight, so he did. They did not become, you know, do do, do with the word, but. Um, you know, they could still see. That's the, one of the real dangers is that you can literally become blinded. Um, so he just reported on the radio that, that he just got sh- shine a laser on him. All right. Um, by the time he landed, there were serious law enforcement people there looking to interview him to find to track this person down. All right. Um, at least in this particular instance, local law enforcement, and I think it was federal law enforcement, took it very, very seriously um, yeah. and uh, and went out and tried to find. I don't know what the, how, how it all played out, but, um, you know, so that's on one level, that's good because it means they're enforcing, you know, trying to stop this dangerous behavior. On the other hand, if it's encouraging people to not report it, that's unfortunate. Um, 
anyways, don't do that. Yeah, uh, and, and if any of our listeners are tempted you know, to, to aim a laser at an airborne aircraft, we will have to revoke your free access to the Damn podcast. right. Damn right. Yeah, we're going to have to start charging you. Yeah. Um, Boeing is starting to uh, put together the last ever 747 jumbo jet. I, quite yeah. frankly, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those deals where you... You mean you mean he's not already dead? I thought like, you, know, you hear about the celebrity though. He's still alive. Wait a minute. Oh, um, back orders, man. Back orders. I, had, I, had, I mean, we've we've heard the stories over the last couple of years about how um, I guess there's no none flying in airline in passenger services with that scheduled passenger maybe in the United States or something uh, like that. Not, well, in the United States, uh, U.S. carrier. Yeah. That's what probably what it was. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think you're right. But, uh, yeah. but so the last one is actually being built. Well, that will be the yeah. end of an era. Really, really, really the it end of an era. Will be. Um, um, yeah, I, I will miss the ability to get on. a. a I remember I, you know, this boy, I'm telling you, it's just talk about a long lifespan of an aircraft. Cause I remember, um, um, a good friend of mine's dad took the two of us to go this was back in the days when you could go to Logan Airport in Boston and you could go into the terminal and climb up onto a rooftop observation deck all right mm-hmm. um, and look down onto the ramp I mean I can't even imagine you get anywhere close to that kind of a position now um, but back then we did and we went up there and because and the occasion was um, one of the first operating 747s was on the ramp right there and and we looked down onto the and we looked down onto it I mean it's like I think uh, you know, as, as big as they were even back then, they were they're much bigger now. They were kind of smallish back then, but yeah, I remember. No, they were they were short. Yeah, shorter. They were shorter. Short. Yeah, yeah. But just as tall. I guess you're right. I guess you're yeah. right. But uh, you know, boy, I'm telling you, think, and that was dating myself here. But that was a long time ago that my friend and I um, got and his dad took us out there. That was uh, quite a moment, and uh, yeah. So end of an era. There we go. The last of the seven fours. Yeah. Um, you know. And uh, every, you know, eventually Basler is going to start converting and put propellers on them. And uh... <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> or, or they'll be converted to electricity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just have just the, the leading edge will be nothing but propellers. Yeah. Oh, there we go. NASA has proved that they're very good test beds. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I got. Oh yeah. I mean, because they're going to be seven fours flying in in the skies for a long time to come. It'll be but like, uh, yeah, there we it'll go. It'll be like the DC. There we go. One last bit of news here. Um, so we talked a couple bunch of episodes ago about how Jana Phillips, a, f- a friend of ours, um, uh, who had been running um, Sebring show for a long time down in Florida and then eventually moved on to run the DeLand Sport Aviation Showcase um, a little bit further north in Florida. And she recently moved on and is becoming um, a member of the staff at Sun and Fun, which is very, very cool. And we congratulated her then and we do again. We were uncertain what was going to happen to De- to the DeLand um, show the the expo show that they've been that she had been running there for a few years, um, and they announced the other day that they're going to continue it. They're going to retarget it a little bit and rebrand it a little bit. But uh, and um, find the story here. Where it go? Here we go. Uh, this is from General Aviation News. New name and date for the Deland Sport Aviation Showcase. Uh, the um, Aero, Aero Affinity Holding Corporation has partnered with the city of Deland to reimagine the Deland Sport Aviation Showcase. The new game, new name for the show is Aero Showcase, uh, and it was going to be it's going to broaden out into more than just sport and light sport um, aircraft. Um, and they're also changing the date. Where did it go here? October, late October. Um, I believe it was late 
November for the last few years. Yeah, um, sure. So, uh, so there you go. That show will still exist uh, at least next this year, 2022, um, October 21 through 22 at Deland Municipal Airport. So if you're in that area around that time, you want to see some cool airplanes, go check it out. Anything you want to add to that? Have you guys heard anything more? No, nope, haven't heard okay. a thing, but that's that's always been a, a very accessible show. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I I never actually got to the land flavor version one. Um, Dave, Dave went a couple of times, and he spoke very yeah. highly of it. Um, our, our good friend Dave Shawbetter and Shawbetter. Of course, you're right. Shawbetter was involved as a as a volunteer for for that show, doing doing uh, video and 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 radio stuff. So yeah, but uh, I like to call it right sized. It's yes. it's yeah. comfortable. Agreed. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. So good luck to them, and uh, go check it out if you're in that area in late October. I think that's it. Time for a stick of fork in it here. Thank you, uh, folks. Uh, it's always fun to get together. Um, we uh, I'm still learning how to do this now. Uh, all my rhythms are off. Um, Amy Laboda, thank you. Hi, Amy. Um, it's such a pl- such a pleasure when you get to join us. Uh, Amy Laboda is a flight instructor, an assistant airplane builder, and a freelance aviation writer. And you're probably not hardly any of those things anymore, are you? One of these days, we're going to have to figure out how I describe you now. You you just are reinventing yourself pretty much annually, it seems, um, in a good way. And, and, uh, and, in a good way. And, uh, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And, 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 a, and, and a little bit of a frog today. Yeah, and, Sorry well, yeah, that. no, that's okay. And eventually you'll be able to speak. Well, you, you've been just fine. It's <laughs> not been a problem but that was amusing that that happened just then that may have to go into the into the goody reel um amy Lobota is uh let's see now so i think you're, you're you don't really have any kind of web presence you don't have a do you have a blog or a or a, or a, or a web page of any sort uh honey i'm just hard to get these days I know, huh? and you are you do occasionally <laughs> you do occasionally appear on twitter what's your name on twitter i'm just amy Lobota. okay all right. I'm at Amy Lobota. Yeah, it's very, very easy to find. And I am an FAA fast team rep, and I do uh, safety seminars every now and again oh, okay. here in, the, in in good old Florida. Yeah. Um, how would people get information about that? Is there a schedule posted someplace? What's- yeah, you can find when the, when if you go to FAAsafety.gov, um, you can look up where safety seminars are happening. You can look up topics that interest you. I would, I would definitely tell everybody they should be participating in the WINGS program because it's a great re- recurrent training program. And I think it's one of the best things the FAA ever came out with for proactively reducing the ACTUS ACTS accident rate for general aviation in this country and it's working i can tell you read the 31st null report it's working excellent excellent we'll take a look for that thank you and jeb burnside jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor-in-chief of aviation safety magazine he's also a regular contributor for other aviation publications online you can find jeb's work at aviationsafetymagazine.com his magazine is on twitter as av safety mag you can also find him at aea.net abweb.com and on twitter he is burnside j and I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most of the uh, place, uh, most of the usual places, with the all one word username Jack Hodgson. For example, Twitter Jack Hodgson, YouTube Jack Hodgson, Patreon Jack Hodgson. You can find my eBooks on Amazon by searching for "Around the Field" in the books section, and you can sign up for the "Around the Field" email newsletter at AroundTheField.net. Um, 
We want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to our little podcast here. If possible, please become a supporter of the podcast at patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace, or you can make a PayPal tip jar donation care of the email address podcast at uncontrolled airspace.com. And just, uh, it's really, really very helpful. If you, even if you can only afford, you don't need to do anything, but if you can afford even 10 or $15 over the span of a year, that's a big, big help. And we'd love to hear from you also. Uh, you can use that same email address to send your, your uh, cards and letters. Keep them coming in podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. Anyways, uh, before I give my little closing thing, I want to say that because uh, in, in honor of our birthday, the p- birthday of the podcast, I went digging back through the archives of this podcast. Um, and uh, regular listeners know that over the years, it had become a, a, a beloved tra- uh, tradition here for Dave to give his little closing uh, uh, statement about the, the, the power of aviation. Um, and, and although we, we aren't doing it as much these days, I wanted to go back and I dug back into the archives and I found from... I believe it was episode first six months, um, the first time that David ever gave us that little bit of advice. And so after you hear the, uh, the our last words, you'll hear a little flashback to David doing, doing his slogan. Uh, in the meantime, let me say that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And remember, you fly an airplane with your head, not your hands and feet. It will expand your horizons. It'll get you into the air, and nothing changes your perspective like airtime. And it's also a life extender because most people don't realize this, but uh, uh, according to Zen and a number of other uh, non-religious philosophies, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Exactly right. There you go. So the more you spend flying, the longer you live. <laughs>